Speaking on finances is always a very, very interesting thing. Um, there's always sometimes a bit of a hesitation in the church when we have to speak on finances because there's, sort of there's sort of a level of, um, there's, a, there's a hesitation that comes anytime the pastor has to get up and talk about speaking, that there's a hesitation that rises up of like, oh, great, here comes the guilt trip. <laughs> and, and you need to know that's not our heart. Um, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And so our desire in this series is in no way to guilt trip or manipulate anyone, but really in the spirit of what, of what the Holy Spirit was doing this morning, I believe uh, very much so, that God wants to reframe the way we think. Amen? God wants to continue to renew our minds in the truth of who He is and His character and His Word, so that we see things differently. And I need that, and I want that, and I was so encouraged by Connor's prayer this morning to say, yes, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I want to see differently. And so my prayer for us this morning as we look at this topic and as we dig into what Jesus teaches us is that we would continue, that the Holy Spirit would continue to renew our minds in his truth so that we would indeed uh, see differently. And so... If you, I just want to ask that you would pray with me, and then we will, uh, we will get started. Father God, we thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for this opportunity to gather in your house to worship you, to call upon you. And God, we desire that you would speak to us this morning. Father, would you continue to renew our minds? We want to see differently, God. And Holy Spirit, I ask that in this time that you would take these words that I have prepared, but that you would do so much more with them that I ever could. Holy Spirit, that you would breathe on them, God, and enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds, that we would see you more and more clearly and follow you more faithfully. And I ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Having a little issue with my Prezi, but I, it should be good to go. You and I are living in an age of angst. Would you agree? We are living in an age and in a time of constant, rapid change. And that change constantly produces anxiety. That change produces uneasiness. That change produces fear. And... Uh, the great Bob Dylan once wrote, and he wrote it then, and it still holds true today. If we want to read the, uh, the first verse of his, of his song, The Times They Are Changing. Come gather round people wherever you roam, and admit that the waters around you have grown, and accept it that, be, that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time is worth saving, then you'd better start swimming, or you'll sink like a stone, for the times, they are a-changing. This was written decades ago, but the sentiment still rings true today, right? We are in an age of angst, and a time of rapid change, and it feels like if we don't get this figured out, we are going to sink like a stone. That's the, that's the time that we live in. And in a world that is constantly changing, people are looking for something steady and firm that they can actually plant themselves in, into, 
that won't change around them. Does this make sense? We are all looking for something, a way in which we can plant and anchor ourselves so that even though everything around us is a swirl and kind of a mess, we can have an anchor and we can have a hope. Does this make sense? And as followers of Jesus, we have this beautiful opportunity. We need to be able to see the chaos and the change and all the swirl around us and not get sucked into it with hopelessness and despair. We actually need to see it as an opportunity to be a light on a hill, to be light shining in a dark place, to be a different kind of people who are holding on to hope in the midst of hopelessness and presenting the world with the the idea that there actually is a better way. There actually is truth that you can sink yourself into, that regardless of change and regardless of chaos, you can anchor yourself here. There are ways in which God has established the world that if you will align yourself with that, you can have an anchor in the midst of the storm. And as, as people, we are looking for this. And I just love how Jesus in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There are ways in which Jesus has revealed himself to us that if we will anchor ourselves in him, if we will plant ourselves into the truth of who he is, we can live in such a way that we, are hope, that we are hopeful in the midst of hopelessness. That we are full of faith and confidence in the goodness of God, despite all the world saying otherwise. And our world needs that, amen? Our world needs that. Jesus shows us that he is the way. Now, I don't know about you, though. I've been following Jesus now for about 10 years. And as much as it is true, and as much as you give yourself to the purposes and to the plans and to the truth of God, it's not like as soon as you say yes to Jesus, everything is just perfectly fine. <laughs> and you don't have any more problems, right? I'm getting a lot of amens on that one. Because the reality is, is that when you say yes to Jesus, and you say, I want to follow you, I want to follow you in your way, Jesus. The old patterns of thinking, the old patterns of relating to the world, relating to people, the way in which you perceive reality, they don't just fall off, right? You say yes to Jesus and he begins a process of renewing your mind, of peeling back the scales that you might see differently, of changing the way that you think so that you could see from heaven's perspective, amen? But that is a process, I've been going at this thing for a little over a decade, and I'm still not there yet. And some of you can witness to, you've been a follower of Jesus longer than I've been alive. And you can say, yeah, it's a process. It doesn't happen just like that. The Bible says that we need to constantly be renewing our minds in the truth that we might see differently. I'm going to cover over these passages. I decided we're not going to look at that specifically. We're going to get into Colossians 3. Where it says this, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you had been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
For you have died. Do you notice that? Past tense. Past tense. The truth about you is that when you have placed your life in Christ, you have already passed on the other side of death. And his resurrection is your resurrection too. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life... (laughs) My life is a mess. No, your life is Christ, actually. And he's not messy at all. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is, a, this is Paul's admonition to the Colossians to say, you need to let go of worldly ways of thinking. And you need to instead choose to put on the way that Christ sees things. The way that Christ sees reality. You need to let go of that and put on this. But it is a process and it is hard. And I'm just going to be really honest and vulnerable with you. Like The amount of times... <laughs> That I have to go to my Bible and I have to go to Matthew 6. I've, I've like almost worn out that passage where Jesus says, why are you anxious? Why are you anxious? And the amount of times that I've had to go to that passage again and again and again to say, God, I'm anxious right now. And Jesus says, why are you worried about this? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will come together. And I, I, I need that. Right? This process, this process of saying, put, put on your mind, put on Christ's mind. Oh, what is going on here? Ah. You want to just, thank you. This process of putting on the mind of Christ, it doesn't happen right away. It's a continual process that we have to engage in. And in thinking about that, as I was preparing for this message, I was... I was praying into Luke 6, and I was thinking about what, what I felt the Lord wanted to say. And one of the patterns of thinking that I feel, one of the ways, one of the ways in which Paul says, leave the earthly ways of thinking behind. One of the earthly ways of thinking that we need to live behind. Thank you, Connor. One of the earthly ways of thinking that we need to leave behind is this idea If I want something, then I take it. If I want something, then I'm just going to go get it. I'm just going to go take it. You see, we can see this kind of way of thinking, and we can see it in the really gross, horrible, illegal ways, right? You see someone steal something from a store. I want that. I'm going to go take it. You can see that in rape. I want your body, so I'm going to take it. You can see that in imperialism. Hey, I want your land, so I'm going to take it. We can see that, this world, this unhealthy, ungodly way of thinking. I want something, therefore I'm going to go take it. We can see that in really gross, horrible ways, but we can also see it in really subtle ways. Not not in like gross, illegal things, but actually just in ways of thinking where it's like, Man, I got to get that promotion because I need more money. And so I don't really care what I have to do. If I got to lie, if I got to cut ahead of other people, if I got to slander, if I got to if I, I got to do what I got to do. If I want something, I have to go get it. I have to go take it. It's mine. 
And this pattern of thinking that says, if you want something, go get it. You just got to hustle for it. Just go get it. It's yours. Go and take it. And what I want to propose to you this morning is that we need to be renewed in the, in the spirit of our minds that this is not the way of the kingdom, that this is not the way of Jesus. So I want to bring us to our main text today, Luke 6, 37 through 38. It says this, Jesus speaking the Sermon on the Plain, judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The way in which the world thinks is it says, if you want something, then go get it. The way that Jesus combats that is he says, "Uh uh-uh. If you want something, then give it. The way in which the world thinks is it says, if you want something, then take it. And you you rise up in your independence and you say, yeah, you know what? I want that, so I'm going to go get it. And the desire to have is not bad. Jesus is just saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how it works in the kingdom. If you want something, you don't just go and take it. If you want something, you give it. You actually give that which you desire to receive. You actually give that which you desire to receive. That is the upside-down nature of the kingdom. The way of the world says, well, if you want something, go get it. Why are you, just go get it. Take it. And Jesus says, no, if you want that reality in your life, then give it. Then give it. If you don't want to be judged, if you don't want to be criticized, to have others declare a verdict about you before they even know you, then refuse to judge and condemn others. then refuse to judge and condemn others. If you want to not be judged, if you want to not be condemned, refuse to judge and refuse to condemn. If you want to be forgiven when you blow it, because guess what? We're all going to blow it. (laughs) If you want to experience that reality of grace and mercy in your time of failure, then be a generous forgiver (laughs) towards other people. If you want something, give it. If you want to experience that forgiveness, then give forgiveness. You see, Jesus taught us, he said, treat others the way that you desire to be treated. He didn't just teach that because it's a nice moral thing to do. It's actually the wisest thing you could ever do. Because when you treat others the way that you would want to be treated, it more often than not comes back to you. Jesus is not just teaching a nice pithy, pious thing to say, treat others the way you want to be treated. What's the goal? Like, no. He's saying, this is actually how the nature of the world works. Treat others the way you would want to be treated because more often than not, that's what comes back to you. If you're a jerk, don't be surprised when people treat you like a jerk. (laughs) Oh, thank you. If you are habitually unforgiving, 
You should not be surprised when people don't forgive you. But if you, if you are a person who says, I am not going to judge prematurely, I am not going to condemn, I am not going to make a judgment call about this person or that person, more often than not, what you receive is that which you gave, right? It's not just a pithy saying, it's actually Jesus is, Jesus is better at defining reality than we are. <laughs> and we would be wise to heed his advice, if this is how you want to experience reality, then give it. Then give it. Now, to the last one, which brings us back to our theme. Thank you, Connor. Which brings us back to our theme. Oh, sorry. I'm going to... Oh, there we go. Sorry about this, guys. Here we go. If you don't want to be judged, then don't judge. Very simple. If you don't want to be condemned, don't condemn. If you want to be forgiven, forgive. If you want to receive, give. If you want to receive, then give. It's counterintuitive to the way the world thinks. It says, well, if I want more, I got to go get more. And Jesus says, no. If you want to receive, then posture yourself to receive. And that posturing is called giving. Giving of yourself is actually the posture we need to take in order to get. Jesus promised us in John 10.10, he says, The thief has only come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The kind of abundant life that Jesus is talking about here, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. The kind of abundance Jesus wants, he has promised to you. But you must align yourself to his ways. Am I promising you that God is going to make you rich? No. But I am promising you he wants to make you wealthy. It's true. Wealth is not your annual salary. And if you define it that narrowly, all you are doing is adopting a worldly mindset when it comes to wealth. Your wealth is not simply what your bank account says. God wants to make you wealthy in everything, in rich relationships, in depth of love, in the midst of sorrow, you are comforted by the Holy Spirit. In the midst of pain, you can experience healing. God wants you to live an abundant life full of love and hope and joy and peace. And part of that includes your finances. It does. So again, I'm not, I'm not prosperity preaching that says, you're going to get home today and have a $50,000 check in the mail. That might be cool, and that might happen. But I'm not prophesying it, and I'm not saying that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I have promised that you would have an abundant life. Abundant life. That you would be wealthy. There are so many rich people who are miserable. There are so many people who are wealthy in the world standard of money and who are miserable and not experiencing any degree of abundance that God wants. And yet at the same time, there are people who it's like, man, I don't know how we're going to make it this month. And they are experiencing radical abundance because that's what God wants to give. Your money is not everything, but it is something. 
Jesus spent nearly between 15 to 20% of his teaching that we have recorded in the Bible talking about money. So clearly, he's talking about it. So it's worth talking about. I am not saying that God is going to make you rich, but I am saying he wants to make you wealthy. He is. That is his heart towards you. In the same way that you look at your children and you just want every good and perfect gift for them unconditionally, your heavenly father sees no different. He sees you no different than that. But if we are going to grow in the kingdom ways, we have to align ourselves with the way of the king. And Jesus says, if you want, Jesus says, he says to the lie of the world that says, if you want something, then take it. He says, no, if you want something, give it. If you want something, give it. Be the very person, be the, be the very thing that you desire to receive. That's how this works. Now, I want to close with this. And I want to read to you a letter that we have, we, for those of you who have been a part of this community for a while, you're aware of this letter, you're aware of this email. For those of you who don't know, in 2014, there's a, uh, a prophetic leader in our nation named Kale Mumby who received this incredible prophetic word in 2014. And it spoke about a coming revival across our nation. And in this dream, and I'm going to read it for you, in this dream, he specifically names the town of Warman as a strategic part of seeing this, this massive move of God across, across our nation. And I want to read a bit of that letter to you this morning. In the dream of the morning of the 16th, I was taken many years into the future. I was sitting at a large table which was surrounded by young leaders of the body of Christ. They were all asking me in my old age for the stories of how the great awakening had started which had swept the earth. These were all leaders in what was the greatest revival the world had ever seen. I was an older man and looked at these young leaders with kindness and began to tell the story of how the global revival began. How did the revival start, they asked me. We asked because the world is on fire. It began with the burning ones, I told this group. Young men and women would gather together in burning rooms and they would begin to call out for the fire of God. Houses of prayer and worship were springing up all over the globe and were known for their fire. They were known as burning ones, full of burning ones, crying out day and night for the fire of God to sweep the planet. I'm going to skip down to a little bit later. On February 18th, I went to bed. I was inquiring of the Lord about Canada and asked him if there was anything I needed to be aware of in the nation. That night, I received a dream. Skipping down a bit more. There was a particular attention placed on Warman, Saskatchewan. I had to look on the map to see if Warman, Saskatchewan actually existed. Thank you, Connor. There was a strong emphasis on this location. As I looked at this red pin in my dream, I knew that this city was key for the coming awakening of Canada and the world. 
I heard that it would be a place of burning ones, that it would be a furnace where the fire burns bright and the fire burns with incredible intensity. I believe the name of Warman is very prophetic. Many prophetic voices have been speaking about another army being released, and the weapons of their warfare are love. Bob Jones's final prophecy word talked about the armory of God and the army of God being equipped with love and peace. I believe that Isaiah 42, 13 is key verse right now. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. In many translations, warrior is the verse, is the verse written as man of war, war man. The Lord is going to start stirring up his zeal in warm in Saskatchewan. And I believe that what happens from this location will be no small fire. I believe significant global fire will fall on warm in Saskatchewan. I believe that in all these specific locations, which the Lord showed me, we are going to see a radical increase in prayer for revival. The fire will fall. If you're familiar with our community, you're probably aware of that prophetic word. And if you're here for the first time, you're like, yeah, come on, that's awesome. <laughs> like I am right now, that's so good. But there are some of you who are here and you say, that was, yeah, that was four years ago. I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. And I need you to listen to what the word of the Lord says today. And I need you to have ears to hear. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Awakening Church, the destiny of this community is not simply to have a building in the town of Warman. The destiny of our community is to spark a revival that ripples out to the rest of this nation unto the ends of the earth. And if you are here and if you are weary, if you are here and if you are weary and you're saying, I don't know when that is going to come, then be encouraged. God is not mocked by what you are sowing right now. God is not mocked by what you are sowing right now. Your prayers, your giving, your faithfulness to what God has said right now in the planting stages, God is not mocked by that. He will not forget that. And if you are weary, let us not grow weary of doing good. <laughs> if you are weary, well, shake it off then. In due season, we will reap if we don't give up. We will reap. We will see that day of awakening. We will see that great harvest that was prophesied about. The point is that we don't quit. And Kendall said something so beautiful last week where he shared, we are a people of great benevolence. When the need rises, we give. And I am so blessed and so thankful to be part of a community like that. I know when John comes next week, we are going to give wonderfully. And that is awesome. But we also need to grow in consistency. When you give, it's not just about paying salaries and keeping the lights on. It's about sowing into a word that was prophesied over this community that is going to ripple out to the nations. 
And it's not just about keeping lights on and, and keeping checks flowing. No, you are sowing into what God wants to do in our nation, in this region, at this current point in history. And I don't know about you, but when, the, when my time comes and I stand before the Lord, I want to be found faithful in the eyes of God to say, you sowed faithfully even when you didn't see it yet. You prayed and you interceded and you, you gave of yourself and you sacrificially loved even though it hadn't come yet. And even if you were tilling for years, even if you were sowing for years, you did not give up. God is not mocked by that. And I do not want to be stand, standing before the face of God and, and not be found faithful. This is not about keeping the lights on. It's about sowing into what God wants to do in the earth. It's about sowing into what God wants to do in our community, in our region, in our nation. And so I charge you, judge not, and you won't be judged. Condemn not, you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, <laughs> flowing over in your lap. You cannot outgive God but he dares you to try. <laughs>